Hey, this is Tyler Johnson, pastor of Mission Church located in Walnut Creek, California. I want to say thank you for tuning in. I hope this podcast inspires you, encourages you, and helps you live the life God called you to live. Enjoy. Morning, Mission Church. How's everybody doing? You guys well? Well, listen, I, I'm so honored to be here. Uh, this is my friend. You can call him Skell. He's going he's gonna to help me preach a little bit today. Uh, but I am so, so honored to be here. Um, come on, if you are visiting for the first time, can I just say welcome home? You have found a great house to be a part of. And, um, and God is on the move. God is on the move. I, I don't know about you guys. We had a great Thanksgiving. I had surgery this last week, but I'm alive and well. So hopefully what Pastor Tyler said in the next 30 years is true. Um, I received that as a prophetic word today, but, uh, but it is truly an honor to be with you guys this morning. I feel like God has put a message in my heart uh, that's really, uh, really appropriate for this season. Uh, but before we uh, jump into the, to the word of God, can we do something? It's going to feel a little awkward because they're not here. Um, but can we stand to our feet and give your pastors some honor? Uh, put our hands together for your pastors. While they're suffering for Jesus in Paris, I want to pray for us. Listen, you guys can be seated. Sometimes we got to realize that honor is less about the person we're honoring. It's more for us. It keeps our hearts full of gratitude and thanksgiving. And uh, so if it feels awkward because they're not there, it's really for our hearts just to say, man, we're so grateful for Pastor Tyler and Rachel, uh, dear friends of ours, family. And uh, I'm so grateful to have real friends. Uh, that, are, that we're doing life and ministry with, and they are the real deal. I want to uh, speak to you today around this idea of tomorrow, tomorrow. But I want to read to you out of Exodus chapter 8. This is not going to be uh, our key text. It's going to be uh, our supporting text. But Exodus chapter 8, if you do have your Bibles, you want to turn there, you can. Starting in verse 1, it says this. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh. It's not going to be on the screen, so just, just bear with me. Uh, then the Lord said to Moses, go to Pharaoh and say to him, this is what the Lord says. Let my people go so that they may worship me. If you refuse to let them go, I will send a plague of frogs on your whole community. Everybody say frogs. The Nile will teem with frogs and they will come into your palace and your bedroom and onto your bed, into your houses of your officials, on all of your people and into your ovens. And into your knitting troughs, the frogs will come up on you and your people and your officials. The Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron, stretch out your hand with your staff over the streams and the canals and the ponds and make frogs come up on the land of Egypt. So Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt and the frogs came up and covered the land. And how many of you guys know it was a bad day? Tomorrow, tomorrow. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that as we open up your word today, would you speak to us in a real way? God, we didn't come here to play church. We came here to encounter you. And so, Lord, uh, no matter where every heart is, you know. And so, Lord, I pray every word from my mouth would be from your heart. And God, that your spirit would break every yoke in this place. In Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. Well, I, I don't know about you, but um, vision is really important. In fact, when we think about vision in the scriptures, it's a little bit different than how the world translates vision. A lot of times when we think about vision, we think about goals and, and goals are great. Or we think about some future things that, that we want to do. But, but the word vision that the Bible uses is the word kazone. 
And it literally means a revelation of God, like a revelation of who he is and also God's meta narrative will for our life, meaning the big picture of God's will for our life, but also to understand and know God's will for our life in every season. So it's far more than, than just a goal. It's, it's a revelation. And, uh, and I, I was doing some, some homework recently and, and I was always told that 2020 vision is the best. But contrary to popular belief, that's not true. 2020 vision is actually average vision. 2015 vision is good vision. 2010 vision is great vision. 25 vision is exceptional. In fact, most humans won't, won't ever have 25 vision. It's like birds of prey. That's why they can you know, fly way high in the sky, see a little mouse down there because they have exceptional vision. And I just really sense that in this season, I'm sure every generation felt the same, but, but especially the season that we're in, we, we cannot settle for an average vision. But rather God is calling us to have an exceptional one. Now, I think when we think about revelation of who he is and God's will for our life, sometimes we think just inward, but I believe that God wants us to, to have a vision that's also outward. And that's a part of his will for our life. So let me, let me take you way back, 9 p.m. It was a Sunday night, 1871. It was a preacher by the name of D.L. Moody was preaching in Chicago. And he told all of his congregation at the end of his sermon, he said, hey, I want you guys to consider and contemplate your relationship with God. I want you to evaluate your relationship with Jesus. Don't make a decision tonight, but rather come back next week and decide what you will do with Jesus. Well, that turned out to be one of the most devastating sermons he ever preached because that night the Chicago fires broke out and a lot of those people would never return. I don't know if you know too much about the Chicago fires, but 3.3 square miles were burnt down. hundred people were homeless. 300 people died. D.O. Moody lost his church, he lost his home, but more importantly, he was ridden with remorse and guilt. Like, man, I cannot believe that I gave them a week to consider, many of which people would never cross the threshold of his church again. And, and, and in guilt and kind of remorse and repentance, he cried out and he said, man, I'd rather give my right hand, like cut it off, than give people another week to examine their relationship with Jesus. And I think sometimes in the moment, the delay probably felt like a great decision. Like go home and contemplate. It, it's even probably preached really well and sounded good. But delay is not always a great decision. In fact, let, let me show you on the screen. Uh, Pharaoh continues and it says, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and, and said, pray to the Lord to take the frogs away from me and my people and I will let your people go and offer sacrifices to the Lord. Moses said to Pharaoh, I leave you the honor of setting the time for me to pray for you and for your officials and your people that you and your houses may be rid of the frogs except for those that remain in the Nile. So get this picture. Moses said, you set the time. Like what an awesome opportunity for Pharaoh. Like, like he has the ability, he has the power. Moses is saying, when you wanna do it, bro? And look what he says. Go to the next one, it says this. He says, tomorrow. Tomorrow, Moses replied, it will be as you say, so that you may know that there's no one like our God. The frogs will leave you and your houses, your officials, your people, but they will remain only in the Nile. Like we're not gonna annihilate the frogs. He was a little bit of an environmentalist. He's like, they're gonna stay in the Nile, but they're gonna get rid of your 
outside of your officials, your homes, all that stuff. So could you imagine this for a moment that, that Pharaoh was contemplating one more night with the frogs? Like, like really, like one more night? Like you have the ability and the authority to say right now. Some scholars believe that he didn't believe that God could remove all the frogs in one night. Other scholars uh, would say that Pharaoh was hoping that maybe they would subside so he wouldn't have to submit. Nevertheless, he was laying his head on his pillow that night, ribbit, ribbit. I, I mean, all over, this is not like a cute, you know, couple frog. This is a plague in his bed, in the oven, everywhere. And he said, tomorrow, tomorrow. If you're taking notes, I want you to jot this down. Isn't it so easy to complain? You can go, yeah, there. Isn't it so easy to complain about the darkness in our land? It's super easy to complain, isn't it? Like, man, it's getting so wicked out here. It's getting so crazy. But isn't it amazing that in the midst of that complaining that God has given us the authority and the power and his presence to step into the very darkness that sometimes we complain about, share the gospel as the antidote to the plague of sin and death and decay. And so many times we say, tomorrow. Tomorrow, tomorrow. But like maybe tomorrow I'll, I'll invite somebody. I'll, I'll share the gospel with somebody. Maybe tomorrow I'm going to really up my prayer life. Like it starts on Monday. Everything starts on Monday. I'm going to get to the gym and I'm going to start actually spending some quality time with Jesus, right? And come on, like, like I'm not standing before you as one that has never said tomorrow. I have to constantly uh, check my own heart because there's so many times that I've said tomorrow. And I wonder sometimes if the Lord is like, man, you're complaining about the dark while you're holding the light. It's so easy to complain, but, but here's a question. If you're taking notes, jot this down. Why do we wait? Like, like, what is it? Why do we wait to share the gospel? Why do we wait to, to maybe take that extra step? Why do we wait to invite somebody to share our story, to release our testimonies? And like, why do we wait? I, I think we can go through some basic things like fear. I think we've all been afraid about what people may think if we talk to them about Jesus. Like, we don't want to be that lady. We don't want to be that guy. Truthfully, I think there's moments we just don't want to be weird. You know, like, like how do you even share? Do I just go in for the kill? Like, hey, let me tell you about Jesus today. I, 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 don't, want to, I don't want to be weird. I, 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 just, I mean, it can be awkward sometimes. I think other times we're just self-consumed, if we're honest. And, and remind you, I'm not pointing at you. I'm preaching to myself too. There's times where I'm just self-consumed. And it can be really inconvenient because to share the gospel, sometimes it takes relationship. It takes some time. Sometimes it's a moment. Sometimes it's a journey. But, but I want to get underneath all of it today because I think for, for some of us, we may say, man, I'm just busy. I just got a lot going on. I... But I want to get underneath all of the busyness today, all, the, all of the excuses, all the fears, all of the reasons that you and I both say tomorrow. And I would propose that one of the reasons why or underneath it all is that we've never realized or we have forgotten, if you're taking notes, jot this down, the urgency, the urgency of the gospel. Now, now I, I remember uh, I've been married, all, this year will be 17 years and uh, love my wife. Don't know how in the world she said yes to me, but she did. And, uh, and I remember the first time I asked her to be my girlfriend. 
Now, now, mind you, I had given my life to Jesus. There was about three years where I didn't date at all. So it was like asking somebody to go out with you for the very first time. And uh, we were in Los Angeles with her parents. We were at her, her grandmother's house. And I, I remember being on the back lawn of her grandmother's house. And I was just like, what? Now is like the perfect time. And so I, I wasn't sure what to do. Like, do I say, hey, will you go with me? Um, uh, will you be my girlfriend? I, I really wasn't sure what to say. So I just kind of fumbled through my words and just said, you know, I, I think we should be together. And so by the grace of God, she said yes. I, I thought afterwards that would have been a long ride home from Los Angeles on Highway 5 if she would have said no. But she said yes. And so everything, like the wind was to my back. I had a brand new truck at the time. I had a great job. It was before I was a pastor. Uh, I love being a pastor, uh, but I had a great job before I was a pastor. And, uh, and I, I mean, just the wind. We loved Jesus. I had the woman of my dreams just said yes to me but it was still a long ride home. So we jumped in the car, we're, we're headed back. And how many of you guys know, I'm not trying to be graphic, but have you ever had to use the restroom really, really bad while you're in conversation and you're on highway five? <laughs> Some of you guys have had this, this trouble in the lobby, right? You're trying to get out of conversation. You're like, oh Lord. And, and so, so we're driving and I'm trying my hardest. You know, when all you can think about is I need, to, I need to use the restroom, but you're trying so hard to stay engaged, right? And so, so I'm talking to Jackie, that's my wife's name, and we're driving and I'm, just, I'm squirming. I'm like, yeah, this is awesome. And I'm just looking for the exit and I pass the exit. And there's a little sign off to the right that says 25 miles to the next one. So in that moment, how many of you guys know it's serious? So I just, I, I, I profusely apologized. I said, man, I'm so sorry. I'm about to do this. I pulled over, threw it in reverse, backed up on Highway 5, got off the exit, breaking every law in the book, and finally made it to the restroom. Now, now, now we, we laugh because we all know that urgency. And isn't it true that, that when something is serious, when something is urgent, we create space for it? Like all of a sudden it shifts our priorities. It doesn't matter what we have planned. It doesn't matter where we're going. It doesn't matter what's going on. We create space for what's serious and what's urgent. And can I just tell you that when it comes to reaching people with the gospel, this is, this, it's so serious, it's so urgent. In fact, look, what, look how John says it. John says it this way. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Like look at Jesus' words here. That's huge. Jesus said, this is why I came. Like, that's pretty serious. It's pretty urgent. Jesus didn't say, hey, this is a good idea that we should do sometimes. I just kind of came because, you know, there was a lot of other things, but then, you know, also to seek and to save the lost. No, he said, this is why I came. Yeah. It's to seek and to save the lost. And so I think Paul is gonna, gonna help us as we navigate through Ephesians chapter two today together um, to, to really understand the gravity, because I think all of us, many of us would say this is important. Maybe this is your first time to church. Man, this is gonna, you're, gonna, you're gonna learn so much today. Um, but, but if you've been in church for some time, can I just encourage you to lean in today? Lean in. I really believe God wants to give you a fresh picture, a fresh urgency, a fresh seriousness of this reality. And Paul is gonna help us in Ephesians chapter two. Uh, we're gonna go there. Ephesians chapter two, starting in verse one, it says this, as for you, you were dead. You were dead 
and your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work within those who are disobedient. He said, remember when you were dead. Look at your neighbor and say, dead. And so, so my guy is going to help, help me out a little bit today. I call him, I call him Skell. And, and look at some of you guys are like, oh, how cute. You, bought a, you brought a prop today. Oh, so sweet. Talk about like reaching people for Jesus. No, no, seriously, Lena, he's going to help us. Out. I promise you he's going to help us today. Like, like if I looked, if I told you right now, my guy right here is going to, I think he's going to make it. Like as soon as I walked in the door today, it was a challenge to the team. I was like, I brought a dead guy. You want to lay hands on him? Let's test your faith, Mission Church, right? But if I told you, I think he's going to make, I think he's going to make it. I think he's going to pull through. He's struggling a little bit. He has some issues. But I think if we put some fresh clothes on him, maybe change a couple of things, that, he, that he's going to make it. Now, now, you would probably look at me like you are right now, like, oh, that's cute. It's funny. Like, but you just know that that is not reality. And we laugh because the reality is he, he is dead. Now, we know that Jesus can raise the dead, but for the sake of point and principle today, this guy is dead, dead. He's not coming back. Paul said, do, do you remember when, when you were dead? He continues to say, he says, not only were you dead, he goes on to say in Ephesians chapter 12, go to the next one for me, Laura, there you go. He says, remember at that time, you were also separate. You were dead and you were separate. Anybody ever experienced separation anxiety? Like, like for real today, if you lose your phone, like it used to be your watch or your wallet, now it's your phone. Your phone goes like, where's it at? Lord, get, get, somebody get the computer. We got to track this thing down. Right? We all know how that feels, right? But, but I, I think to a greater extent, do you remember apart from Christ, the reality when the storm hit? Do you remember when tragedy struck? When circumstances went rogue? When life started to happen and you were wondering, I'm not sure if this is going to work. Like, like, is this all that there is? And you feel, you just felt that sense of, of loneliness. You felt that sense of separation. Like I'm trying to find something to hold on to, but I, I don't have it. Paul said those of us before Christ, as we were separated from him, there was no divine purpose. There was no divine destiny. There was no freedom. There was nothing to hold on to. There was no anchor for our soul. Do you, do you remember that time? You remember when the disciples were in the boat, they were caught in a storm and Jesus was inside of the boat and, and their faith started to waver a little bit and they, they started to get afraid of the wind and the waves and they woke Jesus up saying, Jesus, like we're gonna drown. You know what the great, you know, one of the best parts of that story is they had him to hold on to. Like they had somebody, they had the Lord to grab onto in that moment where everything was shaken. But see, those who are dead and those who are separated, they don't get that luxury. Ecclesiastes chapter three, the wisest man on the face of the planet says that God has placed eternity in the hearts of every man and woman. And so there is this longing that there's got to be more. There's got to be more to life than this. And now let me, let me just be honest with you right now, you're, whether you're in Christ or you're not in Christ, you're either entering into a storm, 
coming out of one or one's coming. You're like, hey, Pastor Matt, can you be a little bit more positive on a Sunday morning? Yeah, I'm totally positive that a storm, you're either entering a storm, coming out of a storm, or the storm is coming. And so, so those that are dead and separate, it doesn't end well for them. Like, like it, it's, they, they don't have anybody to grab a hold of and say, help me. Paul said, you remember when you were dead? Remember when you were separate? He goes on to say, Continuing Ephesians chapter, he says, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and you were foreigners. You were foreigners to the covenants of the promise. Like, like foreign to the reality of Jesus being king over our life. Foreign to the beauty and the awesomeness of his protection, of his blessing. Come on, we remember that place that uh, uh, when, when we were dead, separate, and foreigners, that we were not able to take part of his divine covenants, of his promise. Remember, remember the promise to the people of Israel? He said, I'm gonna give you a land. And, and to the people of Israel, it was the actual land of Israel. But for those of us who have been grafted in, can I just tell you, God has got territory for you to take. God has territory for those who right now may be dead, separate, and foreign, but apart from Christ, they're not gonna experience that. They're not gonna be able to take that territory. They're not gonna know what it's like to be a part of a royal priesthood, a holy nation seated uh, in heavenly places. They're not gonna understand what it's like to have a king and the kingdom of God rule and reign in our hearts on earth as it is in heaven. They, they just don't get to experience that. And eternity in heaven for all of us who believe. Now, you got to remember eternity. Remember what John said, that this is eternal life, that you may know him. So eternal life isn't just a destination later. It's, it's a relationship now. And so, but when you're dead, when you're separate, when you're a foreigner, you don't, you don't get that. So, so my wife and I, we used to host international students from China. We did it for seven years. It was awesome. We learned a lot about China, the different parts and ge geographical regions and culture. And it was so funny, uh, one of our first students, his name was Danny. And he just came here from China, he was going to school here. And we took him to Red Robin, thinking like, oh, he's gonna love this. <laughs> so, so we took him to Red Robin, and, and this, this is the funny thing. We sat down, and you know, Red Robin, you get a, a burger, you get some fries, and you get a drink. Bottomless fries. And, and so we sat there, and he's like, hey, uh, why do you guys eat so little here? I was like, little? Those are bottomless fries, bro. This is, this is as good as it gets here. And then I showed him the bill and I said, this is why we eat very little here. Uh, but, but, but for him, culturally, they were just used to eating big. So whenever his parents would come from China, they would always take us to sushi and then we got it. Like the table would be loaded, loaded with sushi. And the beautiful thing about that, we love sushi and we would tear it up so full, didn't even have to take care of the bill. It was awesome. But, but culturally for him, he was just used to eating a lot. It, so it was confusing to him. He's like, I, I don't, you guys just you don't eat right. And I think sometimes, sometimes if we're not careful, um, uh, or let me, let me say it this way. Uh, anybody ever been to a country where English is not the primary language and you're trying to navigate? And just, just a simple thing like, hey, where's the restroom? People are like, huh, man, I'm sorry. I don't know. It's, sorry. And somehow we think if we raise our voice, it's going to work better. 
Do you know what I mean? Like, like, no, I need the bathroom. They're like, stop yelling at me, right? And I think if, if we're not careful, as, as the church, for people that, that are dead, that are separate, that are foreigners, if, if we don't take the time to really engage, respectfully engage the culture and, and let them know that there is good news, that there is the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he is the hope of the world, that you don't have to be dead, you don't have to be separate, you don't have to be a foreigner, and actually learn the language, preach the gospel to them. I'm just telling you, sometimes we want to yell at people. Or we get so frustrated with them, like they're never going to get it. And so we just don't talk to them. Come on, you got family like that. You saw them this last week. Like I'm, I'm not going to even bother telling them about Jesus. And so you can continue, Laura. And so, so, so on this, they, they don't understand. They're looking at you like, what, what are you doing? I, I don't understand that I'm outside of God's blessing. I don't understand his promises, his protection, his provision, his direction. I don't, I don't understand that. Can I just tell you, that is an extremely vulnerable place. And these are people that we love. They're without life. They're dead, they're separate, and they're foreigner. Can I, can I, just, can I just tell you, does, does that like stir something on the inside of you? Paul continues in verse 12, he says, he says, also, not only were you foreigners to the covenants of the promise, but you were without hope. Without hope. Come on, you guys remember that story? He's like, you were without hope. See, when you don't have the promises of God to hold on to, you're going to try to hold on to something. You're going to have to try to, you're going you're to do whatever you can. And the devastating part is it never works. The greatest lie of Satan all the way back to the beginning is that something outside of God is going to satisfy and it never works. Yeah. Like there's nothing on this side of eternity that, that will be able to anchor or sustain your soul. Yeah. It's just reality. And so it was like Paul was saying, hey, do you remember? Do you remember when you tried everything? Remember you tried that relationship? That wasn't good. You remember, remember that addiction? You're trying so, so hard to hold on. Remember, remember the porn? Remember the success? Remember you try to grab a hold of that money and quickly realize that there's nothing on this side of eternity that can go the distance. There's nothing on this side of the eternity that, that, that can hold you down. Everything will end up letting you down if you put your hope in those things in an unhealthy way. And so, so, so when you don't have the promises of God, it's, you learn very quickly in life that everything is like wind and sand. It's chasing the wind. I'm trying to hold on, but there's nothing to hold on to. Then Paul continues and he says this. He says, not only are you without hope, he says, you are without God. You are without hope and without God in the world. Let me tell you how, why, why this is so devastating. Continues in uh, the Gospel of John, says it, says it this way, John chapter 15. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. So I would be so bold as to say today that life without God is impossible. Amen. Like, like you can function, like you can go through the mechanics, you can go to work, you can go to school, you, you, you can go through life. But from an eternal perspective, from your soul, can I just tell you, it's impossible. And so when's the last time you saw a lost person and you thought dead, separate, foreigner, without hope, without God? Like when's the last time you saw somebody in this light? Like does, that, does it create a sense of urgency on the inside of you 
say, man, I, I've, I've kind of lost sight of that reality. Like we, we see people every single day at work, at school. We see people in our home that we know are far from God. But a lot of times we don't, we don't see this. And I'm gonna tell you why we don't see this is because, because there's a face that smiles or that's angry. And so when we look at him, we're like, you, you don't look that dead. Like you don't look that separate. You don't look like you're a foreigner. I mean, sometimes you act like one, but you know, like without hope, without God, uh, it's hard. And so sometimes they're like, no, I'm good, man. Everything is good. Other times they're like, man, I want nothing to do with what you have to say. And so, so many times we're looking at the face and we're not seeing the reality of the person. And so what happens is it, it, it creates this sense of we're like, man, you don't look that bad. And Satan says, exactly tomorrow. Talk to him tomorrow. Maybe another time. Maybe another time. But this is what happens when we begin to really partner with Jesus on the mission of why he came. Is there's, there's, I don't know about you, but there was a moment in my life that there was a but God. When I was dead, when I was separate, when I was a foreigner, when I was without hope, when I was without God, there was a but God. And look what he says in Ephesians chapter two. Paul continues, he says, but because of his great love, how many of you guys are so grateful for the but gods? God, who was rich in mercy, made us alive. Alive. If this ever gets old to you, you need to look at it again. Alive. Remember, Paul didn't say, hey, um, you were once bad. No, he said you were once dead. And now you're alive. Uh, you, you heard uh, kind of one of, the, the, one, one of the, the famous apologists, he would always say this. He would always say that God didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. Yeah. And when you experience of what it's like to be alive in Christ, oh my goodness, it changes the game. And Paul continues to say, not only are you alive, he continues and look what he says. He says it this way. He says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far away have been brought near. So no longer are you separated, now you're near. And this word near in the Greek, it literally means like, come here, like I got you. Like you're no longer separate, you're secure. There's an anchor for your soul, I got you. You were lost and now you're found. Welcome home, my presence, my body, the church, I got you. And can I just tell you, when you're close, to God and engaged in his body, the church. You don't feel as vulnerable anymore. That when the enemy comes, it's, it's almost like, okay, we're not, I'm not ignorant of your schemes anymore. I know, I, I know this bait, but I'm clothed. I'm covered. I'm in, a, I'm in a totally different place. In fact, Paul goes on to say, not only are you brought near, but you're no longer a foreigner. You are now a citizen. Look what he says. He says it this way, therefore, no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and the members of God's household. Like, like do, 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 are you grasping the measure of this? And not just a, a member of the church. No, you're a, a part of God's household. You're a citizen of heaven. But like when you don't belong to this world and you are a citizen of heaven, no matter how much this world or the enemy tries to torment you, to haunt you, to destroy you, can I just tell you, when you are a citizen of heaven, it feels different. Yeah. Like it just feels totally different. 
Because as a citizen, even though this isn't our home, we are seated in heavenly places. We've been given an inheritance. We've been given rights and authority. We, we've been given this beautiful reality that we are no longer far away, but we are brought near citizens of heaven. And it just changes the game. It just changes the game. When you realize that you have authority over the darkness that once used to torment you. And now Jesus said, no, 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 I, I've, I've given you authority over the works of darkness and the enemy. It changes the game. And, and no longer are you without hope. Paul goes on to say this. He says, now, now the game is completely changed because he came and preached peace to you who were once far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we have both access to the Father by one spirit. So now you have promises to hold on to. This word preached is where we get the word evangelism. It's, it's the reality of the good news of Jesus was preached to us. And this is the reality is that he is our peace. That we are no longer dead. We're no longer separate. We're no longer foreigners. That, that we are citizens and we have his promises and the ability to hold on to those now. So there's hope again. Because no matter what is happening, I know in whom I believed and I know in what he's done for me and the promises that he has. Can I just tell you, as simple as this message is, I promise you, if you can grab it, it will change everything. This last week, I, um, I had surgery and I, it's, it's really weird. I have like a, a kidney stone in my mouth. Who gets that? So it's like a calcified stone in my saliva duck. And, uh, and so they had to do the whole thing, put the tube in my throat to breathe. Like I was under like for like three hours. And it's really uncomfortable because I have, always have to like drain, like normally your saliva just drains, but mine, I have to drain it manually with my hand. It's just weird. So they went in to do the surgery. And, and when I was coming out of the anesthesia, there was a nurse that was assigned to me. And, and I'm, I'm laying there and they have to remind you to breathe when you come out of anesthesia. Those of you guys who are nurses, that makes sense. So I was coming out of it and then you just kind of want to go back to sleep. And it's like, no, no, you need to breathe, Matt. You need to breathe. And I take a breath. And then the doctor came in and she's like, yeah, it was unsuccessful. And we just, we got like a portion of it, but we couldn't get the whole thing. So that's like the last thing you want to hear, right? I'm just like, oh, so what does this mean? She's like, you're going to have to do it again. I'm like, oh. And so I'm sitting there and my nurse, she's, she keeps telling me to breathe. And as she's doing that, we start talking and, you know, I'm disappointed because of the success of the surgery. And, and she starts to, uh, you know, you're, I'm on anesthesia. I just start rambling. You know what I mean? So I was telling her, I'm a pastor. I buy cryptocurrency. I like, you know, just. And so, so she's like, you're a pastor? She said, she went on to say, she was like, yeah, I used to go to this church. And my wife and I were going to take over this church in Stockton like 10 years ago. But it didn't work out. We didn't end up going there. And I was like, no way. She's like, yeah. And the pastor had a moral failure. And after that, she hasn't been back. It's been years. She said, I just told my friend the other day that I just feel like God is tugging at my heart again. And like, I need to get right with God. And so in that moment, can you just understand? It's like, okay, she's helping me to breathe physically, but I know God has sent me there to help her breathe spiritually. And so she's like, man, I just feel like I'm going to cry. Like, this is, I just, like, I was, and then I just start going for it. Like, God has sent me to you. And I just know that you need to come home. 
and, and you can just you can just see life going by. And so here in the midst of me getting this devastating news, there's still a promise and a greater reality that God, you have me here on mission. You have me here for a purpose. I can go through another surgery if there's another one of these ladies on the other side of that. Like it all of a sudden it brings purpose to the pain. And for some of you, that that's a, a word today. Some of you are struggling to breathe. And God has sent me here today to say, listen, he wants to breathe some new life into you again. And there's some, some life in you that he wants to breathe out of you onto other people. That's the beauty of the gospel is, is we can breathe through the pain. We can breathe through the trial. We can bring through the difficulty. We can breathe through the bad news. And this is what it looks like. You guys want to know what a healthy identity in Christ looks like? It's this. Let me explain. Because no longer are you dead, separate foreigners, without God, without hope. Now you're alive. Now you're near, you're a citizen, you're peace. And then look at the last one here. Now, Paul said, you are a dwelling of the Holy Spirit in which God lives by his spirit. So, so now in Christ, the same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead now lives on the inside of you. Can you see the urgency and the seriousness now of why Jesus came? We gotta get over the face. And we gotta ask God to help us to see underneath all of this. This is a perfect time. It's Christmas time. We're gonna be around family. We're gonna be, you know, out and about doing a bunch of stuff, friends, all that good stuff. But don't get it twisted. You may see a smile or you may see somebody that's disinterested, but in the reality of things, they are dead, separate foreigners, without God, without hope, in desperate need. And then there are some in the church that they claim this, but they're still living this and they're afraid to admit it. And if that's you here today, I'm just telling you that God wants to breathe a fresh wind behind your sail. That man, this is a house that's okay. Listen, the Lord loves us so much that we can be honest with him where we're at, but he's not gonna leave us there. We can be honest with our mess, but he's not gonna leave us stuck there. This is a house where you can be honest. You don't have to live here when you're proclaiming this, but it's really this. This is why Jesus came. For the dead, for the separate, the foreigner without hope, without God. And this is also, ladies and gentlemen, a healthy identity in Christ. Because if you lose sight of these, you're going to have a distorted identity. See, Paul said, man, I'm the chief of sinners because I know where I came from. I'm the chief of sinners, but then also I am now more than a conqueror. And you see a humility and a confidence at the very same time. Not a false humility that's like, oh, like, whoa, is me. Not, you don't see that in Paul. Not an arrogance that's like, look at, I'm the man. No, 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 you see a healthy identity. I was once the chief of sinners, but now I am infinitely loved. I am infinitely flawed, but I am infinitely loved, saved by his grace alone. So what are you, what are you saying, Pastor Matt? I'm, I'm, I'm saying this one last thing. Let me bring your attention to the screen. I'm saying... For God says, at just the right time, I heard you. You remember that day? On the day of salvation, I helped you. Indeed, the right time is now. Today is the day of salvation. Let, let me encourage you over the next several weeks. You have a lot of opportunity to do a couple of things. Number one, I just want you to pray. Just want you to pray. You say, well, Pastor Matt, well, what do you mean? I, I want you to think, I, I believe God is gonna bring at least three people to your mind right now that you can start praying for that God may use you in the midst of to, to go and encourage them that they don't have to live 
dead, separate, foreign, without hope, without God. Just, just three people. And then I, I want you to pray. You say, well, does that really count? I watched my mom pray for my grandmother for 35 years. I led my grandmother to Jesus two years before she died in the hospital. And from there, my mom was like the crazy Christian in the family, but now my whole family, my aunts, my uncles, everybody has come to Jesus. But I watched my mom suffer and pray for 35 years. And then I want you to invite. It's Christmas season. No more Thanksgiving, it's Christmas. I want you to invite. Like this is low hanging fruit, ladies and gentlemen. This is a great church. That you know the gospel is preached and proclaimed every single week. This is easy stuff. But maybe you're comfortable leading somebody to Jesus. Man, invite them to lunch. Talk to them. You don't, you don't have to, you know, you're going to have to use discernment. You don't want to just, you know, God may say, hey, I want you to take them to a few lunches. But you got to live with the reality of today, not tomorrow. Like some may be in a process, but you have to live in the reality of today and not tomorrow. Or, or just an invite to church. My mom, on a random Sunday, invited me to church. And God met me in that place. And my life was never the same. My mom moved to St. Louis with her job. I was on vacation, reluctantly went to church with my mom. She's like, you wanna go to church? I was like, not really. She's like, yeah, just come with me. Fine. And you know what happened to me that day? I was sitting in the back of a church of about 3,000 people. And the man from the stage said, young man in the back. I'm like, oh gosh, no, you didn't, right? Come down here to the altar. And so in my mind, I'm mocking him. What's wrong, bro? I got headache, allergies. And he says, two weeks ago, that bullet was meant for you. God has spared your life. There's no more running from God. Two weeks before that, I know I told you I'm a thug at the end, so you'll listen to me. Um, the whole service until the end. But I was outside of a nightclub in Fremont. The guy right next to me gets shot. I carry him to the ambulance. So I went back to my seat and there was a little old lady in the back and there was so much joy on her face, it was tangible. And I, instead of going back to my seat, I walked right up to her and said, lady, I don't know what you have, but that's what I want. And we're in St. Louis. So she was like, baby, are you ready to give your life to Jesus? And I said, absolutely. She prayed a simple prayer with me and my life radically changed. You never know who's one invite away. You never know what's on the other side of that invite. Worst they can say is no. But you know, around this time, like 84% of people will say yes. Pray and invite. Let me pray with you. Father, in Jesus' name, as we close our time, I just ask, Lord, maybe there's somebody here that they feel dead, they feel separate, they feel like a foreigner, they feel like they're without hope and without you. If you're here, and you hear my voice, listen, I'm not gonna embarrass you with every head bowed, every eye closed. You say, Pastor Matt, I just need you to pray with me. I need to get right with God today. I wanna be alive. I don't wanna be dead. Maybe you need to rededicate your life. Maybe you've been holding on some, to some things and you realize, man, it's, you're without hope. They're not working. Is there anybody here that would say, that's me, Pastor Matt, I, I, would you just count me in this prayer? I'm gonna pray just in a moment. Don't be shy, don't be afraid. Don't let the enemy say tomorrow, today is the day. If, if you're here, just slip up your hand. If there's anybody here that will say, that's me. Yeah, I see your hand, sir, thank you. It's awesome, yeah, see, yeah, see your hand, thank you, thank you. Yes, I see you in the back, awesome, yep, yeah, see you, sir. It's great. Come on, can we pray this prayer with them? This is, listen, it's kind of like wedding vows. I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna give you the words, but you make them your own. Okay, so, so would you just, 
pray, th pray this with me, all of us together. Just say, Lord Jesus, Lord, today I surrender. I need you. I want to live. I want to breathe. Thank you for dying on the cross that I might be saved. You died that I would live. I confess you, Jesus, as my Lord and my Savior. I thank you that you're the living God. You rose from the dead. Please forgive me for my sin, for going my way. Well, today I'm trusting you. My death for your life. My sin, my shame for your righteousness. Thank you for meeting me here today. I surrender to you. Fill me with your spirit. Thank you for bringing me home. In Jesus' name. And everybody said... Thanks again for listening to the Mission Church Podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up on our weekly sermons. If you're in the Bay Area, we invite you to come join us on Sundays. You can find all the details on our website at missionchurchca.com. Again, thanks so much for listening, and we hope to see you soon.